Hi everyone, welcome to SAMA, a program which invites an expert each week to discuss a topic from their area of expertise. This week we are delighted to have Dr. Rev Kareem as a guest expert to talk to us about personal transformation, how we can get out and how we can do. Do you ever feel trapped? Do you ever get overwhelmed and start to neglect your emotional health? In this modern, fast-paced life environment, it is difficult to break away and embrace your true existence. It's time to come out of the shadows and find your calling and express it to the world. Reef will teach us how you can overcome those fears and fully express your creative self. Your personal transformation can start today. Reef is a transformation scientist, performing artist, and the master of madness. As a double board certified psychiatrist and professional actor, writer, and improvisation artist, Reef helps people unleash their creative power to build a more innovative mindset, heighten their passion, and lock down their purpose. Reef blends neuroscience, psychology, philosophy, and creativity in his innovative Master Your Madness program, where he helps individuals and companies to expand their minds, differentiate, connect, and achieve peak performance. He has been interviewed by Oprah Winfrey, Anderson Cooper, Deepak Copra, Larry King, and many other popular hosts. And after today, Reef can add spooky salmon to his list. <laughs> Welcome to Sama Reef. It's fantastic to have you with us. Thanks for having me. That's uh, that's quite the honor to have you as uh, as the latest of the hosts <laughs> that have interviewed me. Well, thank you you're, for accept, accepting our pleas to have you yes, on. You're in good company. Hey, how can <laughs> how can we become a master of madness? And how did you first think of this idea? Yeah. Um, I'm a, uh, by training, I'm a psychiatrist, uh, and by training, I'm also an artist. And I've lived these two very separate lives. You know, most psychiatrists are not artists and performing artists, and most performing artists are not doctors, let alone psychiatrists. So I've had these two careers that have just kind of been going on their own, and each one of them uh, was, was not informed of the other. When I would go on auditions, when I would, I was a dancer, uh, a, a salsa, swing, tango, like a wow. couples dancer. Uh, when I, I acted in Bollywood movies or Hollywood movies, hosted, I would never, ever advertise or tell people that I was doing these things. Yes. And some of it was shame. I think it was shame because I was raised in an immigrant family where, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer. Um, yes. I, I'm Indian, so I think you can add IT consultant to that. Uh, were the uh, were the main criteria, yes. and um, so I would never talk about the performing work. Yes. And then in the doctor world, if if you are a doctor or you tell someone you're a doctor, or you have a doctor. You want to view that person only as your doctor. Yes. When you go see your doctor, you don't want to know that your doctor does a ton of other stuff on the side or mm. might occupy a lot of his time or his energy or her training in something else besides taking care of you because yes. taking care of you should be the most important thing. So mm. we, we don't, it's not good to have so many other uh, interests, you know? Yes. So when I looked at where I was in, in medicine, I was running a treatment center and, um, 
you know, I was serving as an assistant professor at UCLA. And most of my life was about prescribing pills and diagnosing people. Yes. And modern day psychiatry, I guess the good, the good part is the imaging and, and all the new tools and technology that's happening. But it really still comes down to diagnosing people and prescribing medications. And that's not the life I wanted to live. And, and it also isn't the, the way that I view somebody when, when, you know, when I, when I'm looking at an individual, whether it's in a professional sense or a personal sense where I'm advising or I'm coaching, or they're just a friend at a holiday party. um, I, I, I don't, I don't want to view them in terms of diagnosis. Like, Oh my God, that guy's so ADHD or oh, wow. She's super OCD. Look at the way she's checking the lights all the time. Or like, <laughs> you don't want to diagnose somebody. You don't want to, you don't want to live your life with the lens of uh, I'm going to diagnose people. So yes. in, instead I try to look at people's strengths and, and, yes. and look at, you know, what are they like? In their in their biological life, their psychological life, their social life, their spiritual life, their and 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 what is a big part of what makes us each so unique and in individuals and original people? What we have is our creative power, our creative prowess, our experiences that have turned into some form of expression. It could be a traumatic event that you've happened in your that's happened to you in your life. It could be a a skill that you have. Yes. It could be an achievement you had. It could be an experience, good or mm -hmm. bad, that you just experienced and other people have it. Yes. And it, it shapes who you are in addition to your heritage and your culture and your gender and your size mm -hmm. and your mm -hmm. genetics and so many other things make you who you are. Mm -hmm. But so many people, including myself, um, repress who we are because of all sorts of things, uh, conformity, um, pressures to uh, be the way someone else wants us to be, whether it's our, our parents or our boss or our girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, siblings, you name it. There's a lot of pressures out there. And, and when you succumb to those pressures, you lose fragments of yourself and you end up one day, this happened to me, and maybe it's happened to you or some of your audience, uh, you wake up one day and you're like, what am I doing? Like, this is my life now. How, how exactly did I get here? Um, I'm doing this job that I don't love. Um, Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Um, I'm doing oh, you're, this. You just a game just came up on screen, didn't it? You didn't want to lose that high score. Ah, uh, no, <laughs> something happened on my uh, on my end. I, I lost picture, so uh, okay. I don't know but what you're, happened. You're, you're fine. Yeah. Uh, but I I woke up one day and just said, "Okay, I'm 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 living this life that's not a really my own." And I, I'm living a life that wasn't consistent with just who I am as a person. And I've been living somebody else's life. And I, I'm looking at the job that I have. And I'm looking at the, not all my friends, but some of the more toxic friends in my life. Yeah. And I'm looking at the, the lack of a relationship at the time. And I'm looking at 
all these various elements of my life. And I'm like, how did I get here? Like mm-hmm. what, what just happened? Mm-hmm. And, and it was a big wake up call. And, and mm-hmm. I find that many people have this wake up call, mm-hmm. but for, for most people, it's, you know, when you're 70 or 80 or, or you're at the tail end of your life, like they did an AARP study where they, they interviewed people that were in nursing homes and the majority of those people said the, the few things they would change about their life is they would take bigger risks. They would follow their own journey instead of somebody else's journey yeah. and lead their own life instead yeah. of others. Yeah. And they would spend more time with family and friends and less time working for somebody else. Yeah. Um, it's pretty simple, but so many of us don't follow that recipe in life. Right. Right. Now I've noticed very, you know, very, you've been very clever in your answer because you haven't given an answer. Master of madness. Okay. So, <laughs> so I decided that I wanted to change my life and I took a deep dive into all the different ways that we transform. Yes. We, and, and I don't just mean cognitive transformation. Cognitive transformation in my mind is all the books behind me. It's, uh, it's how much you read. It's, it's processing information that you take cognitively into your brain. And then you try to turn that into some kind of action. What's more powerful is experiential transformation. Yes. You go through some type of experience. I was raised Sufi, so I was following Jalaluddin Rumi since I was young. And um, I've been meditating since I was very young. So meditation, um, some type of, uh, I consider dance to be experiential. Uh, a, A lot of creative methodologies are experiential. Right now, you know, psychedelic therapy uh, is is experiential. It's a kind of a hot thing now in science. There's many different ways that you can achieve some level of um, experiential processing. The the two that I cater to more than any other is uh, creative, and how you can have creative experiences in your life that will expand your mind and help you to grow to problem solve differently than you would previously. Um, and also how you can use creativity as a practice, like I use, and many people use meditation as a practice in their life. Um, meditation is great for stress reduction and, and, and to, uh, to center oneself and to you know, keep things more still so that you're able to better see the world differently. You can increase empathy and compassion, so many other things. Creativity is mind expanding. It's increasing cognitive flexibility. It's your ability to shift, to adapt, to problem solve differently, to see the world differently. And it energizes you and makes you feel more alive and it makes you feel more connected to yourself and to other people around you. So I developed a platform that looked at integrating creativity, neuroscience, some element of consciousness or spirituality, philosophy, uh, and psychology. And I was like, what am I really, what do I see in the world that's happening right now that's causing so many people to not grow? What's, What's causing stagnation? What's the big barrier that many people nowadays are, are suffering from. And, and it's, a, there's a whole list. There's digital distraction, divided attention, 
feeling overwhelmed with decision making, not knowing your purpose, um, difficulties with connection with oneself, with others, with your environment around you, division. Um, there's, there's so many different things that are happening um, that cause one to expel or expend all of your mental energy on that. And what ends up happening is you spend all your energy because we have a finite amount of energy that we can process on what I call chaotic madness. All of this stuff that's constantly needs for validation, dependency on pills, digital, digital distraction, all this stuff is, is our madness, our chaotic madness. Now, there's other people that are also spending a great deal of their time on their conditional madness or conditioned madness. That to me is living your life for somebody else. It's, it's having your past control your present, having your past control your future. Habits, things you were told, beliefs you have that are not necessarily correct but were projected onto you by other people right. that now you lead your life because of it. That's another type of madness. But, and I consider those two the dark madness, but there's a light madness, which is your creative madness, yes. your ability to create, your ability to think out of the box, your ability to, to uh, God, there's so many things from, improvisation technique to change the way your brain works, to metaphoric characterization, to spoken word, to visualization, to partner dancing, to art therapy, to music. To, there's so many different things. I have a whole checklist, a creativity checklist that I use. <laughs> um, and, and you can expand your mind in a way that you can't in other ways. I can read all these books sitting behind me and gain amazing insight and awareness, but I can't expand my mind in a non-cognitive way um, doing that. And you, there is so much power and uh, creative power inside all of us. It's not somebody that's like, oh, I'm creative or you're, or you're not. You can learn how to build a creative process. And so Master Madness is essentially, how do you harness your inner creative power and shift your madness from chaotic and conditioned to creative. Ah, wow. The, um, would you agree that a problem uh, that labeling people is a major problem, putting the label of ADHD or some other condition, because that's a, <clears throat> that's a label that, that uh, the medical establishment of created that fits groups of people together but it doesn't identify or help in any way the treatment of that condition yeah we're taught to label each other yes. the the medical industry is taught to label um we we label each other by gender by race by neighborhood by socioeconomic class by so many different things it's it's we categorize to try to understand and in the process of categorizing we diminish the people that we experience and uh it, it's a limiting categorization and that's why our creativity is universal it's a universal energy 
And uh, you can't really label a creativity, uh, one's creativity, one's creative power. You can't put limits on it. You can't harness it. Um, and that differentiator that, that we have that is not something that can be taken away. So I find our ability to create and be original literally the opposite of, uh, of, of labeling people. Do you think it's, uh, creativity is something that we're born with, we're all born with? Yes, uh, that's something that people will will ask me a lot. Is hey, is is creativity something that like you just have, or or are there some people that just don't have it? Yes. And no, I don't agree with that. I believe that we can all be creative. Obviously, there's a spectrum of creativity, and some people are amazing actors, writers, dancers, musicians. But I'm not talking about creativity as um, a profession. Yes. I'm talking about creativity as a key characteristic of being human. Yes. Because if you look at what's happening uh, in the workplace right now, there's automation, there's machine learning, there's, uh, there's jobs that are being taken over by machines. Mm -hmm. uh, if we're gonna have cars that, and trucks that, that don't have people in them, that are you know, auto driving. They're, we're gonna have all sorts of machines replacing various skill sets. Mm -hmm. But the one thing a machine can't replace is our creative ability. And some people call those soft skills, but I think our soft skills are gonna become our major skills because our ability to communicate, our ability to adapt, our ability to create new things, our ability to envision uh, new products, our ability to, um, to achieve uh, a more of a peak performance by tapping into our inner resources. Those are all things that you can't have a machine outsource. You can't outsource that. You can't mm -hmm. automate that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where we are going in this world. And I realized it at some point and said, I want to dedicate the rest of my life, my mission, my legacy to helping people tap into that inner creative power and shifting that madness. Uh, and once I realized it, like it was, it was good to go. Like, uh, <laughs> it, it's kind of like, you know, it, it, in, in each person that's listening, we, we have a, um, we have a calling and I wish for everyone that you learn your calling and, and a reasonable age where you can still do something about it. Uh, and I feel like that's my calling to, I, I learned all these great skills in the performing arts and I can help people, everyday people from corporate high level CEOs to performing artists to just regular, regular people on the street. I can help them to build a better life through tapping into some of their inner resources. Perhaps people do get their calling early on, but they don't listen. Not yeah. Listen. It's a very, very good question. You have to be primed to be able to hear that calling. Mm -hmm. If Again, if you're overwhelmed by your madness and all that chaos and all that stuff that's happening or you're, or you're programmed uh, to lead a life that someone else has, has played for you, your, your playbook is not written by you. Your playbook's written by somebody else. Mm -hmm. If that happens, that phone is going to ring. That, that purpose phone is going to ring. That, that calling, that phone, that calling is on the other side or the, your doorbell is going to ring and it's calling at your door and you're not going to answer it. I guess the big question that could prompt our thoughts like this is, are you absolutely truly happy with your life? 
And if you're perfectly happy with your life, then there's no need to change. But if there's any factors, like you feel you're out of control, you're working, your, um, your example before of not enjoying your job, for example. A job shouldn't just be a job. A job should be a passion. And if it's not a passion, then you've got to find a different job <laughs> or, or do yeah. something different. I did, a, I did a talk where I don't normally talk too much about, you know, specifically happiness because I think it's a state. Uh, and your ability to find meaning in your life, like direction, purpose, calling, and meaning is going to create more fulfillment than a state of happiness that could be transient. I think most people are not... <laughs> perpetually happy. Oh, I'm happy. I'm still happy. <laughs> later, I'm still happy. I, th I think happiness comes and goes. Well, and what so, pills do you take? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say something and I'm not going to say it. Okay, so... Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> so, so happy, I don't really ask happy that much, but I was at uh, a conference and I just said, you know what, I'm gonna, just going to ask. I'm going to see how the word happy resonates with the audience. There's about a thousand people there. And I said, how many of you are truly happy? Before you raise your hand, I want, I want you to really think what happy means to you. Uh, because we're all going to, each, each person, everybody, people on your left, on your right, are going to have different views of what happiness is for them. Because I don't think there's like a rule book that says, oh, well, you're only happy if, you know, and, and, and they list uh, like a DSM manual or something. So really think about what is happiness to you. It might be having uh, really strong connections and relationships with your family, having a job you love, um, having the ability to really spend quality time with your friends and perhaps the ability to have enough finances to do some things you want to do with your life, seeing the world, doing this, doing that. So, so I just kind of listed a whole bunch of possible happiness attributes. So then, okay, let's do this. Let's, uh, who's happy? And maybe 12% of the people raise their hands, you know? Uh, and yeah, 10 to 12%. So the majority of people did not raise their hands. And I said, okay, so for the rest of you, why are you not happy? Think about what barriers are preventing you from being happy. Mm -hmm. And those barriers are often in your own control. Like you could say, well, my dad is the reason I'm not happy. Or change my, <laughs> yeah, well, okay. But, but you can change the connection and how much power your dad has over you. Um, my wife is the problem. Okay, well, what exactly is it about your wife that has caused you to limit yourself? And, and if you keep asking those questions and you keep going on to the why and you continue to go on the why, you'll find that there's a, the answer usually comes back to you every single time. It's rare, it, it does happen, but it's rare that we're being oppressed by an institution or by a person where we have zero control over the situation. Um, at the very least, we have the ability to view the oppression differently. And you, know, you can look at Gandhi or Nelson Mandela or you know, so many other people that will talk about uh, changing your mental state when you're, when you're not in control. That's very, that's very wise words. Do you think people are less happy now than they were a hundred years ago? 
I think there's more stimuli now that can, I don't want to say it was a simpler life, say 50 years ago, but it was a simpler life <laughs> 50 years ago. I didn't want to say it, but you said it. Okay. Yep. Got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's simpler, not, not easier or harder. Mm. Uh, less distractions. Let's yeah. say that yeah. simpler because of less distractions. So, we have information flooding at us all the time from Facebook to Instagram to Twitter to YouTube to, you know, uh, all sorts of videos. We have the news. We have um, uh, hundreds and hundreds of channels on cable, streaming services, just going online and looking at information, articles, we have, we have sex, we have gambling, we have shopping, we have all types of consumer products trying to get our attention. Uh, we, we have all these corporations trying to get our, everybody's trying to get our attention to get us to buy something or rally behind something or want a part of, to be a part of something. So you have to filter all that information and that requires a lot of brain power. Our, our ability to just make basic decisions, to just be able to say, if I get on Facebook or I get on you know, Instagram right now, and I guess technically we are on it right now, but if, but if I go and I decide to scroll and just look at what things are coming my way and what I could purchase and what items there are and what could change my life or what could make my life better better or people, <laughs> or people that I want to meet or wow, that person looks really interesting or wow, they can do a skill that I've always wanted to learn or wow, that, <laughs> that food looks so good. There's so much that our brains are taking in and it uses up our mental energy to the point where we literally can feel exhausted after being on Facebook for a half hour or Instagram for a half hour. Now, is that Facebook's fault? No, not necessarily. It's technology, and that's just the way our technology is. But I always say that we need to adjust to our environment. And if our environment is so much more high-powered from a technological perspective, then we have to adapt. We're adaptive creatures and we need to adapt. And that means we have to actively change the way we process information so that we protect our ability to be more creative. We protect our ability to have more stillness and an ability to think for ourselves and develop our own identity and our own authenticity and, and to be a nonconformist in regards to just our own sense of who we are and, and our originality. That takes a certain sense of quiet and reflection and thinking and, and creating and envisioning who you want to be. And if you get constantly just project, projectiles coming at you of information, you can't do that. That's right. I don't watch TV, but uh, any TV that I have happened to sort of stub my toe on, um, what I've found is that the dialogue and everything's happening so quickly, there's no pauses so that I could consume any information or ponder what's been said. It's just lasted and straight on to the next thing, straight on to the next thing. And the, and the, um, the information that it portrays is almost like superficial. It's not, it's not meaningful to me. 
Well, uh, I don't think they really fall to me. Well, that's because you're a, you're a deep guy. That's that's what that's about. You're so, <laughs> you're so deep that. Uh, I am, well, I'm I'm not as deep now because I have been on a bit of a diet. Um, but I'm yeah, this this an ongoing process. But I'm just wondering whether one time that we have something like rent a friend. <laughs> you know, that's how deep TV's going. You know, like it's it's so fake. It's just everything is just so fake. It's just I I don't know if I would call it. I mean, look, if TV is, if TV is, I think it depends on what kind of TV you're talking about. If TV is fictionalized, so you look at scripted TV, because I've worked in that world. Um, the whole concept is it's fiction. So you're going to take a fictional world or uh, a fictional process, and you're going to create an entire series around it. Um, if you look at Breaking Bad, or you look at Games of, Game of Thrones, or you look at you know, other other shows that that people uh, have watched historically over and over and over again, there's, there's a story arc and you want that protagonist to experience <laughs> certain things and you want to live through that person. So, so it's just storytelling, but it's fictional storytelling. Yeah. But if you're talking about reality television, then, you know, that's a different story because it's also fictionalized, but it's, it's rooted in reality, but exaggerated. So that's a different type of storytelling. How can people distance themselves from all this plethora of information, misinformation, noise, white noise out there, digital white noise? How can they actually find themselves and make wise decisions on where they want to be, what type of person they want to be? And find, you talked about toxic friends before. There's an interesting comment. <laughs> Yeah. We we all have we've all been exposed to toxic friends. Yeah. Sometimes our family a family member can be toxic. Oh, but sometimes. when yeah. Many times. So uh you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving exaggerate the toxic family usually. Yeah. Uh when you have a toxic friend, it usually means somebody that's charismatic or charming or serves some kind of purpose whereby you get sucked in or drawn in to mm -hmm. them. Um, but it, it also, they also are consume your energy. Some people will call them energy vampires. Other people will call them drama kings or queens. Uh, they can be incredibly needy. But for one reason or another, you either don't feel as well when you're around them or your your needs aren't met when you're around them and it doesn't feel like a healthy relationship sure. but if we don't have purpose in our life if we don't know what our purpose is we're much more vulnerable to toxic relationships we're much more vulnerable to watching a ton of television we're much more vulnerable to not taking care of ourselves as much because there's no calling. We're much more vulnerable to be bored because there's no calling. There's no purpose that's driving us. There's no mission statement. There's no through line that's driving us towards something. And if we're not being driven towards something that we passionately believe in, then 
sure, we'll go stop over there at that pit stop, or we'll go over here for a while, or we'll go hang out with that toxic friend, or we'll go, we'll date the wrong people, we'll do whatever, because we don't know where we're going. So why not take all these stops along the journey, uh, the road and the journey to life and, and uh, get ourselves just distracted over and over and over again? So the step number one to do is fire the friends. Fire the oh, friends. if you if you have a toxic if you have a toxic uh, friend in your life, st step number one is awareness. You know, when I when I've worked with people, when I've advised people, uh, I'll talk about there's there's many different environments that we have, right? Like our our physical environment where we live, our 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 bodies, our medical body environment our spiritual environment, our, our, you know, another one is our networking, our network. And so I'll have people that I work with go into their network and say, okay, I want you to divide up your, your family network, your, um, your business relationships and, um, your, you know, your maybe charity or volunteer or service or giving relationships and your friend relationships. Now in your friend relationships, cause it's usually the least provocative. Mm -hmm. And so it's either nonprofit or it's friends. So I'll usually start with friends and I'll, I'll say, okay, now I want you to do like, this is the psychiatrist telling you to analyze people. I want you to analyze the relationship that you have with each one of these friends. First off, I want you to categorize them into very good friends, like high level friendships, middle and low. That's the first thing. And then secondly, I want you to go and really think how this relationship is working. Is it mutual? Is it one-sided? Is it one-sided, but it's okay because it's a healthy relationship? Or is it an unhealthy relationship? And what is this relationship serving both of you? Uh, you know, and, and when I've worked with people, they'll find that there's certain relationships that are very one-sided, sometimes very dependent, sometimes codependent, sometimes based on neediness. Sometimes there are historical relationships where one person's changed and grown and the other person hasn't, and they're kind of being dragged down by the person that hasn't changed. Yeah. Uh, th there's many reasons you could end up having a relationship that isn't necessarily healthy for you. So then the second thing I tell them is, okay, you've done the survey. You've surveyed where these friendships are. The second is, uh, for the ones that are unhealthy, do you want to diminish the intensity by which this friendship is going? Do you want to have an active conversation to change the nature of the friendship? Or do you want to eliminate the friendship? And it sounds tough, but sometimes it's necessary. So you still have the option to change that relationship, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to require a direct conversation between you and the other person on the status and nature of that friendship. Or you could just kind of diminish the friendship and it'll, some people will call it ghosting. I don't think it's necessarily ghosting, <laughs> like, a, like a slow, a slow decline. Yeah. Um, and then the third way is no, this is a super unhealthy relationship. And then you can either ghost or you could, I think it's better to communicate and mm. just say, you know, Hey, um, I'm, I'm going, a different direction in my life and I appreciate and uh, 
you know, I appreciate the time that we've spent together, but I'm, uh, I'm kind of going a different direction right now. And uh, I don't feel like what we're doing is really consistent with where I want to go with my life. Please respect that. And some people will respect it and some won't. And over time, eventually they'll respect it if you don't engage. Right. Wow. Yeah, well, quite often the um, people uh, in a friendship relationship, the friend doesn't see a need to change. Yes. Um, people quite often become entrenched in their own character and don't see flaws in themselves. They're comfortable with themselves and can't be introvert. And so, yeah, cauterized might be the <laughs> best approach in many, many, many ways. Um, if people have, if, if they've got the stress around them and they can't do much about it, are there techniques they can use? Is there anything they can do about it to maintain their sanity or you their say, You say stress. What, what stress specifically? Uh, work stress. Um, yeah, let's say just work stress because they, they're thinking they're, 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 they're locked into a job. They don't dislike their job. They may enjoy it, but it's got stress. So it's important to have stress-relieving techniques in your life. And it's important to know that they're stress relieving techniques. You may, the, the brain is so interesting. You may have certain things you do that in theory will decrease your stress. But if you don't know that they'll decrease your stress, they're not as effective as if you knew that they actually decrease your stress. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's having the insight and awareness to know that my stress is actually being decreased. This is an outlet for stress reduction. Right. Uh, and, and if you know that, it's, it's helpful in regards to stress reduction. So there's a million ways you can decrease your stress. You know, I, I did a video, uh, I think it's on my YouTube channel, that just on the neuroscience of nature, just nature, just going out in nature, maybe not on a crowded street in the middle of LA, but like just going to the park, going to the beach, going somewhere accessible where it's a little quieter and yes. being out in nature mm. will, you know, increase your ability to be empathic, will decrease, um, you know, can, can improve uh, your ability to, to focus, to pay attention to things, to... It, it, it's amazing. It, it can decrease cortisol. It, it can, there's so many ways that it can stabilize you metabolically and neurobiologically. Uh, uh, that alone, add meditation, add yoga, add, um, add some kind of physical movement. Uh, you know, for me, I like dance, but I also used to play sports a lot. So uh, playing something where there's a creative element to what you're doing. Uh, creative arts therapies, uh, sometimes gaining perspective by traveling, not being in a situation where you don't have food or you're you know, in, under duress, but being somewhere where you gain perspective can change uh, the, the stress that you currently have because you're, you're doing some type of disruption. Like I, I like creative disruption, but there's other types of disruption as well. There are so many ways you can reduce stress. You can talk to friends is a stress reducer. Being able to get out what's bothering you by talking to people can reduce stress. Um, sitting still can reduce stress. There's, 
that just being out of the noise, <laughs> getting out of the noise can reduce stress. Listening to music, good music can reduce stress. Um, looking at a photo album of, of just happy moments can reduce stress. There, there's so many things you can do, but it, the key is a, that you're doing them and you're doing them on a regular basis because it's not just about crisis intervention to reduce stress. It's about having a healthy practice, a daily practice of stress reduction. Uh, that, that's, that's the key component because then you're less likely to have a buildup of all this stress. Instead, you have kind of a lower level um, across the board. And the other thing that you mentioned that I talked about earlier is filtering the information that you bring in to your, your mental emotional state. You know, if you're constantly watching, I don't know, um, cops and uh, some police, you know, you're, you're watching crimes and criminals and killers and sociopaths, you know, and, and terrible news all day long. Well, guess what? You're going to have a certain framework uh, mentally that's going to occur because of that. Yeah. So being able to filter how much negativity you take in on a daily basis is also important. Mm. One of my favorite activities is watching a movie on mute and supplying the dialogue. <laughs> Playing all the characters. Yeah. yeah, all the characters. And of course, there's nothing like what they're actually saying. It's normally something a little bit more coarse or <laughs> totally offbeat. But um, yeah, that's, that's one thing I wouldn't recommend other people to do. <laughs> Well, I, I, my guess is myself and your entire audience would love to see you do that. <laughs> Maybe a video on you and watching you play these different characters in your living. <laughs> oh, it's a fun activity, you know, because these shows are quite often very serious. And, they, and as you say there, they involve psychopaths, murderers and that. So if you can put, if you can put some, inject some lighthearted humor into it. Mm -hmm. and all the good. Now, now, one thing you seem to focus on is your own or our own inherent madness. Like, it's, it's not just the madness that's around us, and goodness knows there's no shortage of that, but it's our own inherent madness and how it's a very good thing. Mm -hmm. Now, can you explain why it's important to recognize that we're all just a little bit nutty <laughs> and how we can put it to good, how we can grow ourselves. You know, I, I'll use initially the metaphor of companies. I, I, uh, I've had the opportunity to consult at various companies. I've, I've done some talks for companies where the focus is how do we become more productive? How do we have more productivity at our company? How do we have more differentiation in our company so we are different than our competitors? Um, how, how do we achieve higher peak performance in our company so that we're, we're really clicking, we're innovating, we're moving? Yeah. And, and I was like, well, what is a company? A company is made up of employees. And who are, you know, whether you're a C-suite employee executive or you're, you know, a regular guy employee or a regular woman, yeah. um, those employees are human beings. And those human beings are either repressed or expressed, or they're somewhere on the spectrum of repression to expression. They're either tapped into their creative selves or they're not, or they don't even know they have that creative power. Yeah. 
I can't tell you the number of people that don't even know they have it. They don't even know, it's you know, and, and my, my entire platform and the way I view life is based on cognitive flexibility, which is the ability for us to adapt, shift, be flexible, be, uh, change the way we think by looking at, a lens of life differently, changing our perspective, seeing something past what's in front of us, being able to envision holistically, being able to see the big picture. All of that is related to it. And when you have higher, a higher frequency or higher level of cognitive flexibility, you're more innovative. So I teach companies how to be more innovative through developing an expansive mindset. So when you look at just human beings, now take, take out the company, it's just Joe living his life with his wife. And uh, Joe is like, um, hey, I want to be, I want to lead a happier life or I want to be more fulfilled or I, I want to, uh, I just want to feel more meaning in my life, which I think if, if push comes to shove and, and, and somebody had, you know, you you were pressing somebody and you said, what is it that you really want to feel? Hmm. I think, you know, people would say happy. People would say ecstasy. Some would say, you know, <laughs> I want to know what it's like to be high or, or they, or they would have some crazy fantasy. But hmm. a lot of people would say, I just want to feel like I mean something. I, hmm. I, I want, I want to create some kind of legacy. I, I just, I want to leave this earth knowing I made some kind of an impact. And that impact, yes, could be procreation, but it could also be innovation. It could be just just creating something that was super interesting that mm. led led on past you. You know, mm. writing a book lives past you. Yes. Um, even making a movie lives past you. Uh, coming up with an idea for a company, coming up with a, a solution that helps people mm. can live far past you. Wow. And uh, yeah, I think people, I, I believe that people generally want that. Yes. And so when I'm, when I'm advising people or I'm speaking or, or any of that, I, it's, I, I have to, not for everyone, but for some people, I, I have to shape and, and open up, expand uh, the ability to see into your internal resources, your inner creative prowess, your inner creative power. So people are like, well, what does that mean exactly? And I said, well, it means that you have a well of originality. You have a well of experiences. Joe, you've had all sorts of experiences I've never had. You've had a, a view of the world I've never had. You've had life events that have happened to you that I've never had. You've had a perspective on your travel, on the kinds of people you've come across that I've never had. All of that and adding, like I said, your genetics and your gender and all sorts of other stuff, that shapes you. Um, but, but you in your original self gets clouded by other people's views, yes. by, um, by other people's theories, by other people's pressures, by other people's needs to make you a certain way. And when you are that way, they feel better about themselves. And that could be limiting you. It could be shutting you up and keeping you quiet. It could be seeing you hide. It could be all sorts of stuff.
Um, and what I want to do is I want to pull that creative energy, that expression, that inner original self that you are, the culmination of all those experiences of you. I want to pull that out of you so you can use that to create your legacy, to find your purpose, to develop your calling, to express yourself originally in a way no one else can. That's what I want to do to help you. So that's how I help people um, on, on their journey and, and kind of finding themselves. Do you think that the education system today uh, quells individuality and um, isn't conducive for self-development, do you think it's more geared towards working, um, forming young people into young adults so they can work for other people and not be themselves? Yeah, I very much do. You know, Sir Ken Robinson, you know, talks, I uh, had a great TED talk about this, but it's uh, it, creativity and individuality um, are not promoted the way STEM or the way, you know, science, math, life skills uh, uh, are, are promoted. Yes. And that's going to change. Like I said, the, the, the more machine learning and, and the more automation occurs, I think the pendulum's going to swing back because uh, we've, we've almost been so good from a technological perspective that we're going to replace some of the workforce. Uh, and schools are tricky. Like I, I'll, I'll use the metaphor of, of modern day medicine. You know, I, I used to own a treatment center that I sold not long ago. And because I wanted to dedicate my life more to this, to thought leadership and innovation and, yeah. and building something, inventing something new. Mm. One of the reasons that I wanted to build something new is because I tried to do that in medicine. Um, I took an underserved misunderstood population which is the addiction and mental health population in, yes. in our society mm -hmm. and I and I saw the opioid epidemic coming for like in 2004 I was on Oprah and I talked about uh, how we we're in a prescription drug epidemic in 2004 and I talked about opioids wow. then being a problem wow. and you know we saw the result of, of where that was heading yes. um, and in modern day medicine, the focus, if you end up in a hospital, if you end up in a clinic, if you end up even seeing a therapist for the most part, it's focused on crisis. Yes. You have a crisis. You have a medical crisis. Go see a lawyer. You have a legal crisis. You have a financial crisis. You have a mental crisis. You have a crisis. Yes. And so the goal of that hospital or that treatment center or that clinic or that lawyer's office is to stabilize you. So you move from the state of crisis to the state of stabilization. We are gonna help you. We're gonna give you medications, or we're gonna give you the support to get out of your crisis, mm -hmm. or we're going to you know, put you up for a month so you can get away from the crisis of your environment. We're gonna do something to pull you out of that crisis. So you're stabilized. But when you're stabilized, you're not growing. You're not building skills. You're not 
preventing the crisis from happening again. You're not expanding your mind so you're, you can find your way and find your calling and find what it is that brings you joy. You're just stable and you're stabilized. And in my world, in the medical world, we would be paid by families or insurance companies yes. or whomever the payer was because of a diagnosis and because of a medication that was prescribed. But we weren't getting paid for any of the growth or purpose work or the existential therapy or the music therapy or mm. the, the identity work that I was doing with people. Mm. We wouldn't get paid for that at all. And I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. I am a crisis manager. That is what I'm doing. And, and so I found that, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that because there's many people out there that are making their living off of being a crisis manager. Right. And that is fine. But just call it what it is. Like if you're a crisis manager, no, I'm a crisis manager. Cool. Okay, I help pull people out of a crisis. Personally, I wanted to move from a world that was surrounded and swimming in pathology into one that was focused on human potential and optimization. And that was the existential shift that I had in my life that happened because, like I said, I woke up one day and said, I'm not living my own life. And I, I you know, and, and, and when you're repressed, I, I, so I, I grew up the eldest son of an Indian, very conservative medical family. Um, dad's a PhD doctor that invents, you know, he, he invents medications. Uh, and my mom is like, I think has two master's degrees and runs, used to run hospitals as a nurse, wow. uh, nursing manager, administrator. Mm -hmm. So I'm the eldest son in this family. And my dad literally on the day I was born was like, everyone, everyone gather around, gather around. I've decided he will be, wait for it, <laughs> a doctor, you know. It wasn't there out of the blue. <laughs> on the day I was born. On the day I was born. So yeah. then, every, you know, every, uh, my dad used to creep up to my crib late at night and he'd whisper, doctor, doctor, doctor. Every Halloween, they dressed me up as a different type of doctor. Every birthday, I didn't get Legos. I got a medical gift. Like it was just doctor, doctor, doctor. And, and I was this creative kid who mm. I, I was like an alien in my family. Oh. And so my parents went out of their way in a loving way, sure, in an sure. immigrant loving way. Because yeah. <laughs> my focus was we're new to this country. We just got to survive. Yeah. We don't know where Alien Boy came from, but we got to put him in his place and mm. get him to go with the train because, you know, this is where we're going. So any, any strategy they could use to knock out the creative and knock out the um, innovative side of me and trade it in for safety, security, and work for other people. It's okay. That's the way life is here. Um, so going back to the education question, you know, they are a byproduct of 
you know, thinking of the education world that way. And so eventually leading somebody else's life, as I did for my parents, and repressing who you truly are in this world mm. and what your gift is going to be to this world in the limited time that you're here. When you repress that, there are consequences. There are emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual consequences, and they will catch up to you. Mm. And maybe you'll have a minor event because of these consequences, or maybe you'll have a major event because yeah. of these consequences. For yeah. me, I suddenly couldn't sleep. I, I was having a hard time eating. I, I had a car accident where I was at a stoplight and this car hit me and it was, it was a small, I had a two millimeter disc herniation. But because of the stress of dealing with incredibly challenging and sick patients, combined with the fact that I knew deep down inside I wasn't doing, doing what I was destined to do with my life, yes. a two millimeter disc herniation turned into a 10 millimeter disc herniation. And I needed, oh. I needed back surgery. You know, and so after that surgery, I said, that's it. I am going to focus on what I should be doing with my life. So you're like a rose. When you prune a rose, it grows back stronger. When your parents wanted to um, stop your ideas of becoming something else, no, you are going to be a doctor. What do your parents think now when they see you successful in what you're doing and you and happy? Surely they must be happy from that. You know... My parents are, it took, it took them seeing my lowest point oh. to appreciate the impact of leading a life that was secure yeah. instead of leading a life that was authentic. Yes. That's the best way I would put it. Yeah. Um, if I didn't have that really low point, um, I think they would still really give me a hard time for making these kinds of shifts. But because they saw how bad it can get, um, I think they, you know, they're loving. I think they respect the fact that, hey, maybe, look, we still don't get this kid. We still don't. <laughs> you know, he's, he's still like an alien to us. But because we love him, um, and he's been fairly successful doing it our way yeah, maybe we'll you know it's not like the, and, and again I, I think you have to understand the maybe the indian cultural vibe and i'm sure look i have a lot of friends that are italian or latin or greek or, or so many other ethnicities uh jewish there, there's so many different families where you have pretty controlling parents yes. uh or or you you are a you are part of a major community network that dictates a lot of what happens to their kids and you know and i'm a total adult now and 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 you would think that parents wouldn't have a say or any ability to coerce me into anything but the reality is when you come from a pretty tight um cultural foundation being so important family that yeah, the parents still have some sway, and so if 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 they're unhappy all the time because of my life choice, now I'm not going to change my life choice. 
but I'm going to be deeply disappointed that they're not on board. I understand. I understand. It must make things more difficult for a lot of people to change their lives if they're living the lives of what their parents have given them. That they've they've slotted them into that template. It must be difficult for those people. A huge number. Well, you know, I'm a big believer that it's a rite of passage. Like we come into this world with a certain energy or a soul and we get put into a human body and we get put into a family and that family does their best with this soul in a human body that they don't quite understand. Uh, But they're going to do their best based on their perspective to raise this thing um, and put it into the world. And then we spend the rest of our lives like, trying to figure out who we really are and what our purpose is Mm. in spite of very often the way we were raised because our parents didn't know we're, we're this soul that gets brought into the world and put into this body. It's not like our parents have the instruction manual and are like, Oh, well this kid's going to do this and their skills are going to be that they don't know. So that's the beauty of life is we get raised because we need to be stable and secure because we can't live as a baby on our own or as a teen on our own, just the way our brains are programmed. Um, if, if we do live that way, most of the time it, there are negative consequences. Um, so we're protected until a certain age and then we spend the rest of the time finding ourselves. Wow. For viewers that are watching us now, if they want to learn how to embrace their madness, and block out the madness that surrounds them. How can they contact you and get more information? Yeah, I have an entire process. Um, Master Madness is a program. I'm, uh, I've got a, uh, a, a book I'm working on now, uh, which is the Master Madness book. There's a, uh, an online course that should come out in the spring. Uh, I'm going to be doing retreats and a live events that are experiential, which is a, a great thing. So uh, that's going to be super fun and that's going to be great. And uh, the best thing they can do right now to understand more about Master Madness is to get on my email list. So if you go to reefkareem.com, R-E-E-F-K-A-R-I-M.com, uh, right now I think that we, we change our opt-in all the time, like what to sign up, you know, and automatically get on our list. I think right now it says something about prescription pills, what you want to know about prescription pills. So just click on that, put in your name and you'll automatically end up on my uh, email list. And then I'll be continually uh, talking more about creativity, neuroscience, psychology, madness, how we can lead a, a, a better life. And, you know, that's essentially the goal. The goal is we all have a dark side and a light side. We've all had experiences. (laughs) We've all had negativity. You know, we've all, we've all had, no one is immune to, to that. And, uh, if we're able to embrace and harness and change and shift that energy that we come with through our childhood and, we come with through the, the stressors of modern day life and shift that into an energy that will then help us to find our purpose and our calling and be more energized and feel more alive and connect more with other people and to ourselves. I think that's a great mission to have in life. And so uh, if I'm able to help people through the master program to do that, then I consider that a very successful life. 
Fantastic. Dr. Reef Kareem, it's fantastic to have you with us, joining us on our seminar today. I knew I'd enjoy this talk, and I have. <laughs> it's, been, it's, it's totally aligned with what I think as well. When I see the people around me and the lives they're leading, it's narrow, it's compartmentalized. It's, they've got their role, and they're not thinking broad. They're not thinking, they're limiting themselves by their own thoughts, their own actions, the people they associate with, their circle of friends. They don't expand, they don't, get out, they don't do things that they want to do. It's mm -hmm. like they take ownership of the label they've been given or mm. the disease that they've been um that they've got that's another issue again thank you so much for coming to our show it's been a blast having you on really good now you right well, next week i'm gonna get this i'm gonna get as many books as you i'll, I'll go and have a word with joy <laughs> i need more books i'm feeling rather inadequate at the moment <laughs> and get rid of all these comics at the back i'll get proper books <laughs> yeah, i do like the dog back there the dog is pretty interesting back there yeah yeah no he's, he's a, yeah we're not, you can't have him he's, he's mine okay <laughs> <laughs> well you take care i guess it's um afternoon or evening where you are thank you so much for blessing us with the hour and a bit of your time it's been very valuable to us we've learned a lot well, thank you for the platform and the opportunity to, to, to talk to you. Okay. Thank you once again. Okay. Bye-bye, everybody. You.